The following audio is from Grace City Church in San Diego, California. More information about Grace City Church is available at gracecitysd.com. Yet the Most High does not dwell in houses made by hands, as the prophet says. Heaven is my throne, and the earth is my footstool. What kind of house will you build for me, says the Lord? Or what is the place of my rest? Did not my hand make all these things? You stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit. As your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, whom you have now betrayed and murdered, who you, re- you who received the law as delivered by angels and did not keep it. Now when they heard these things, they were enraged, and, the ground, and they ground their teeth at him. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him. Then they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for this day. Thank you that we're here, we're breathing, we're alive, and we're gathered together as a family, Lord. I pray that you would open our hearts and our ears, God, that we would lay our pride aside, we would lay any um, biases or preconceived notions aside so that our hearts would be open to your wisdom, God. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. I just want to say, um, as we start out today, um, it's been a heavy week. It's a lot going on in our country right now, a lot going on in our worlds, and um and I want to say to my Asian-American uh, brothers and sisters, we see you, we love you, we care for you. And as a church family, um, we're praying for God's comfort in this time. Um, there is a lot happening. And we need God's grace. We need to lean into the gospel and, and to Christ and to one another as brothers and sisters. I think the amazing part that we see in the body of Christ is that um, God brings us together in a unique way where it doesn't matter what the world says, um, we can see each other as brothers and sisters. It's a family. A part of being a family is you feel what your family is going through. You know, when, I, when, I, when I see my, my siblings, they're going through something difficult. I, I feel it. And so I ask that the Holy Spirit help us to feel as a church family for one another. Even though we might not fully understand that we, we, we feel in our hearts. And so we're going to look at the book of Acts. We've been journeying through the book of Acts, and we've been looking at the life of Stephen. We are wrapping up this very important message that he gives us. This message 
as we've talked about, is the longest sermon in the book of Acts. And so Luke, the uh, author of, of Acts, and, and particularly God, who inspired the Bible, wants us to get something out of this message. It's an important message that, it, that Stephen is preaching here today. So our text, text is from Acts 7, 51 through 60. And here's the message. Truth over deception. Truth over deception. In his book, The Courage to Stand, author Russell Moore opens up his fourth chapter about integrity with this story. Here's what he writes. The man had been to medical school, had a medical license, and had decades, decades of medical experience. As a matter of fact, he was at the top of his field, at least at one time. The director of a prestigious hospital treating patients with dementia and other aging-related cognitive diseases. The cruel irony, though, is that the man is now elderly and afflicted with dementia himself. The very disease he had spent a lifetime combating and is placed in the hospital he had once served as the director. The man, though, didn't know this. The surroundings were familiar to him, and so was the routine. So every day he would make his rounds, checking in with the patients, examining their charts, making notes to himself about progress. He was no longer supposed to practice medicine, but no one told him otherwise. The patients, no doubt, didn't know any better themselves. And the hospital personnel probably thought it was best for the man to live in his illusion. All that came to an end, though, when one day, while making his rounds on the floor, the man flipped through the chart beside an empty bed. He read the diagnosis of advanced dementia along with the list of symptoms and test results. Then he saw the patient's name at the top of the chart. And the name was his own. That's me, the man cried. God help me. God help me. In this last portion of the life of Stephen, Stephen is courageously taking the mirror, if, if, if you will, the chart to show these leaders who they truly were. No more deception. No more lies. No more theological arguments trying to convince them of the truth. The mirror was on them. It's the truth that's now going to bear upon them. And so our text is from Acts 7, 51 through 60. And, and what is the insidious truth that Stephen is uncovering about the leaders of his day? Well, we see in this last portion three important aspects of Luke, Luke's historical accounts. Here's what we see. If you're taking notes, number one, it's an undeniable history. Number two, an unwavering faith. And three, an unforgettable response. An undeniable history, an unwavering faith, and an unforgettable response. 
And so the first one is this, an undeniable history. Now look at verses 51 through 53. It says, you stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit. As your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And you killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one whom you have now betrayed and murdered. You who received the law as delivered by angels and did not keep it. What's happening here? Well, as we read through this text, we see that Stephen, as he finishes up this message, is holding up the mirror and showing these leaders... Two realities. The first one is this. Their past rejection of God. Their historical rejection of God. Again, in in verse 51 through 52, he says, you stiff-necked people. Anyone had a stiff neck before? It's not very comfortable. Woken up in my advancing years with a stiff neck. The thing is, you can't move a stiff neck. You're just like one of these numbers, right? You're, you're just, your whole body moves. You can't turn your neck. It, it's, it's uncomfortable. Stephen starts out there. He says, you stiff neck people. He says, uncircumcised in heart and ears. You always resist the Holy Spirit. Here's what he's saying. He's saying, you can get all of these things right on the outside. It looks like you followed all of the religious traditions. But he says the place that it hasn't affected is your heart and you don't hear. Now, why is this important? Because he's telling these leaders, you've made it into these positions of authority. Yet you do not hear from the highest authority. You've rejected the highest authority. And and you're so passionate about the forefathers. You're so passionate about those who've gone before you. And actually, you've become a lot like them. You've become more like them than you even realize. See, Jesus addressed this issue when he walked the earth. He, He talked about this in Matthew One of the things that Jesus confronted the religious leaders with was that that they had become like their forefathers. They, they They didn't listen to God. There's a history of this. It says that they they the the prophets were persecuted. The prophets were told, stop talking. Don't talk about that God stuff. We like it the way it is. And in actuality, they did this to the Son of God. God is standing before them, sharing truths with them, and they didn't want to hear it. And here's the thing. Stephen is not sharing his take on history. This isn't something where he's like, well, this is my thoughts, and this is my take on what happened. No, it's actually historical fact that those before didn't listen to God. We have it right here. that there was a history of this, and so he was sharing facts about who they really were. 
that ultimately they, they rejected God. And specifically, God the Holy Spirit. God the Holy Spirit. See, how do we follow God? Is it just something that kind of just pops into our head and we think to ourselves, you know, I'm just going to be a good person and follow God? No. What we find is that the reason you and I can hear from God is because of God. God's the one that's reaching out. God's the one that's speaking out. God's the one that's sharing truth. And he's tugging on our hearts in in, in his direction. He's calling out. Yeah, what we see, it wasn't just like a rejection, but they were rejecting God in the process. And there's a history of this, right? There's a past of this. But then there's a current rejection of God. Verse 52 through 53. And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, whom you have now betrayed and murdered. You have received the laws delivered by angels and did not keep it. Here's what we see. Where was all of the truth leading up to? Where were all the, 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 the prophecies and all of that leading up to? Where was it leading to? It was leading to Jesus. It was leading to Jesus. Yet Jesus stood right before them and it says that they rejected him. They betrayed him. They, they murdered him. I see Stephen in many ways kind of being fed up. Right? He was fed up. He was fed up with seeing the way that they had treated Christians at this time, yet yet said that they loved God. And now he's kind of fed up to the point where it's all just coming out and he's, he's not mincing words. But he's speaking very specifically about sin. And he's saying you murdered the Son of God. You've been given the law, and you didn't keep it. Right? This isn't about the, the religious leaders of the time just being good people, saying that they followed the commands, but they've taken it to the extent where they killed, they murdered the Son of God. And so there's this undeniable history that they had to face. They had to look in the mirror and say, this isn't just his ideas, this really happened. And the mirrors now turn on them and they have to say, this is not somebody else who did this. There's no blame shifting, but it's on me. It's an undeniable history. But then secondly, we see an unwavering faith. Look at verses 54 through 56. And when they heard these things, they were enraged. And they ground their teeth at him. And he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Soren Kierkegaard once said, he said, The majority of people are not so afraid of holding a wrong opinion as they are of holding a wrong opinion alone. Alone. In the eyes of these religious leaders, Stephen held a wrong opinion to them. 
But what we know, it wasn't just an opinion. It was facts. And so when they had to take in that these were facts, it wasn't just his opinion, but now Stephen is standing all by himself. They may have seen Stephen standing alone, but what we see here is that he wasn't truly alone. He wasn't truly alone. See, we, we see where Stephen put his faith. And, and how, how did God work in this moment? Because what we see here is we see it played out of what he is seeing in the moment. Now, did these religious leaders see that, that God had opened up this, this way for Stephen to see him? Probably not. But Stephen saw it. And God pulls back the curtain for Stephen, much like we see was done in the prophet Elisha's life and his servant in 2 Kings 6. If this story is new, Elisha and 2 Kings, surrounded by this military army, but he's not afraid. And his servant is going back and forth just so afraid, saying, why are you not afraid? Why, why are you so calm right now in this moment? And here's what it says in 2 Kings six seventeen: Elisha prayed, open his eyes, Lord, so that he may see. Then the Lord opened the servant's eyes, and he looked and saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. See, there are those moments where we're standing or where we're standing on truth. It's God's truth. And we feel like we're all alone, like we're on an island. But what we see here is that it's not true, that actually you're not alone, but that God is with you. And we see that God was with Stephen in this moment. He pulls back the curtain to show what was really true. Stephen's faith in this moment is now becoming sight. His faith is now becoming sight. And he is affirming what Jesus said in Mark 14, 62, when Jesus stood before the same group of men. And you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of the Almighty. Do you know what it was that just infuriated the religious leaders of the time when Jesus stood before them? They were angered. They looked at Jesus. Do you know what set them over the edge? It was that statement that Jesus said, and you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of the Almighty. They couldn't take it that Jesus was Lord, he was King, he was ruler, he's God. They didn't want to receive it. And so, they killed him. And there's an unwavering faith that Stephen has in God as he's standing there, knowing that his end was probably coming soon. And so then we get the unforgettable response. Look at verses 57 through 60. But they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him. Then they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. 
Now, in both responses, we see what's truly in the heart. We see what's deep down in the heart. Right? Because it's in the heart that leads to the actions. And what's in the heart of the, the Sanhedrin? Well, Jesus gives us a clue in Matthew 5, 21 through 22, the, the famous Sermon on the Mount that Jesus get, gave. He says, You have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable of judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says, You fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. See, what was going on deep in these religious leaders' hearts it's the action that they were going to take out on Stephen very soon, and they would use religious justification to do it. Religious justification to do it. But Jesus knew it was in the heart. See, murder was in their heart. They cried out with a loud voice, stopped their ears, and rushed together at him. They cast him out in the city and stoned him. You can imagine the scene that's happening here. Stephen is boldly preaching this. They run at him. They grab him. They throw him out of the city and they start to stone him. See, we can look at this and ask, what do you do? How do you respond? Stephen is the first martyr in the church. As we talked about earlier, Tertullian said, it's the blood of the martyrs that's the seed of the church. People who are standing on their convictions and what's true and, and what God says. In the midst of persecution. What was in Stephen's heart well, was Jesus. Look at this, verse 59 through 60. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And then he had, and, then, and when he had said his, this, he fell asleep. What does this remind us of? What does this remind us of? What does this scene remind us of? As he's praying, as they're stoning him, as they've, they've looked with evil intent in their eyes at him. We see. We see that his eyes are fixed on Jesus. It wasn't fear of the crowd and what they were going to do to him. But his eyes were fixed on Jesus. And what does he say? He says something very similar to what Jesus says on the cross. What did Jesus say on the cross as they're murdering the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords? What does he say? Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. See, what's in the heart of a Christian that makes them different? As they're receiving unjust persecution, as they're receiving lies that are being thrown at them, as they're receiving hatred, Stephen here is not leaning on 
what he could do, but he was leaning into what God could do. And what God can do is, is take a heart of stone, of anger, of bitterness, of injustice, and transform it into a person who says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Let's be honest. Is that how you naturally respond? Is that what you think when somebody is treating you unjustly and wrongly? Is that your natural response? It's not mine. It's not mine. See, what I need is God to transform my heart. What I need is what Stephen is calling out for, saying, let the Holy Spirit pull you into a life that you couldn't have done on your own into a response that you would have naturally had, into a life that you could have nat- naturally not lived. It's something that only God can do in your life. And what happens is God starts to make you look more like Jesus. See, what do we need in this time? We don't need a bunch of Christians with a lot more ideas. We need Christians with hearts that look like Jesus, with with eyes that start to see like Jesus, with a mind that starts to think like Jesus, with actions that start to look like Jesus. Friends, this is what we need. This is what the church should be. And as Stephen is about to breathe his last He's looking into heaven, receiving his strength. And so what can we take away from this? What what can we see from this as we we get some takeaways from from Stephen's life and, and what he endured? What can we learn right now? Number one is this. Face the facts. Face the facts. We live in an era and an age right now where we have so much information that's out there, don't we? So much information. And for a lot of us, we have to ask ourselves, what's true, what's not true? And there are a lot of ways that we can look within culture and say, well, here's all the things that are wrong with culture. Here's the history of how things have have been terrible within our culture, in our society, in our country. We can look at that. But what does 1 Peter 4.17 say? It says, for it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? Now, in 1 Peter, the the, the church was experiencing extreme persecution. But here's what their persecution wasn't about. It wasn't about whether they were living a holy life or not. It wasn't about whether they were following Jesus or not. It it wasn't any of those things. Necessarily, it, it it was about what they believed, that Jesus was the Christ, right? And so, and so, in that, that they were preaching Christ as the solution, as the Savior, as the answer. 
So they were ex- experiencing persecution. It wasn't because they were living like Jesus necessarily as much as it was about what they believed about Jesus. But here's the thing. When's the mirror going to be turned on the church itself today? When are we going to look in the mirror and say, you know what, there are some things that we've believed or taught or done that were not in alignment with the ways of Jesus. That, that if we were to face the facts about the church, we would say that's, that's sinful. Right? We, we, we want to look at the world. We want to say, well, that's all the things that are going on out there. No. The Apostle Paul says, I'm not judging out here. I'm judging inside the church. How are we living? Jamar Tisby in his book, The Color of Compromise, says this. It's a book that he based on historical facts within the history of the American church about racism. Here's what he says. He said, black people immediately detected the hypocrisy of American-style slavery. They knew the inconsistencies of the faith from the rank odors, the chains, the blood, and the misery that accomplished or accompanied their life of bondage. Instead of abandoning Christianity, though, black people went directly to the teaching of Jesus and challenged white people to demonstrate integrity. Harsh, though it may sound, the facts of history nevertheless bear out this truth. There would be no black church without racism in the white church. Where have we as the church gone wrong? It's when we started to teach things that were false. Whether it be ethnocentricity, that one ethnicity is higher than another, and that we're all all not brothers and sisters, living on an equal playing field. Friends, we got to look in the mirror as Christians. And you know what it says in Galatians? It says that the seeds that we plant, whether from the flesh or from the spirit, will come to bear. They will. Right? We got tension in our country. We got a lot going on in our culture right now. But what about the church? Where are we looking in the mirror? And saying, Lord Jesus, help us. God, help me. God, help me. Let me say this for men. In 2019, Samuel Perry did a study on the use of pornography by conservative evangelical Christian men and found that Christian men morally rejected yet personally consumed pornography. He called this a moral incongruence between what they believed and how they lived. Friends, speaking to men specifically, is this a moral incongruence in our lives? Is this a moral incongruence in our lives? Because I'm telling you right now, you being just a moral person isn't going to fix that. But I'm asking us to truly ask Jesus, God, help me to live in alignment with what you say is true. Because you know what? What happened this week with this young man who goes into this massage parlor and murders these women, you know what it was? He was discipled in a church. And at no point was this uprooted out of his life. 
And we, ask to ask, we have to ask Jesus and say, like, we can be like, oh, well, he's just not really a Christian. He, you know, he's just not really a Christian. That's why he would do something like this. Or we can say that we've never discipled that young man in a, in a way where there would be a moral congruence with his life. It's disturbing, right? But we have to take the mirror and look in the mirror and say, Lord Jesus, if these are our brothers and sisters, what is going on right now? It's uncomfortable. But we have to do it. Because men in this church, I pray that you look like Jesus. Humble, gentle, kind, gracious, loving, servant-hearted, not willingly turning a blind eye to sin, but asking the Lord Jesus, help me, help me, help me, humble me, Lord. I want to look like Jesus. It's facing the facts. And if those are the facts, then we need to look in the mirror. But secondly, we need to see the king. Right? It's like we, we look at ourselves and we see all of these things, but we need to see the king. Who's the ultimate authority that we are accountable to? It's God. I stand accountable to God. You will stand accountable to God. Here's the thing. On the last day, it's just going to be me and Jesus. And I have to stand before the king. And I have to give an account for my life. And right now what we see is as Stephen is, is, is entering into the kingdom, we see this where it, it doesn't say that Jesus is standing, but it says, or sitting, but he says that he's standing. He's standing. And some commentators look at this and they say, it's almost as, as if, if as a king rises out of his throne and is applauding him as he's entering into the kingdom. Well done, my good and faithful servant. Well done. And you know what? As these men are rushing at him, ready to take his life, one of the things that it says is that um, as you looked at like witnesses, something that, that you're witnessing in a court of law, the witness would have to stand. And what we see here in many ways is probably this way, is that, that the, the, the witnesses, as, as, as Stephen is being murdered in this moment, we see that, that God is standing as his witness. He's saying, I see you. I see what they're doing to you. I, I see that they're taking your life right here in this moment. This might be in a, in a hidden chamber somewhere, somewhere where it's kind of off to the side where the rest of the, the people don't see it. The rest of your Christian brothers and sisters don't see this, but I see it. Do you know anything that, that you and I need more than anything? It's not that other people in support of other people isn't like great to have. But more than anything, what you need to know is that the king sees you. And he'll stand with you when others might not. When others might not. 
Friends, this is something that we need to look at and know that that's where we find our strength. And lastly, respond to him. God help us. God help us. See, what, what is Jesus asking you to do? How, how is he asking you to respond? How's he asking you to respond? What's the Holy Spirit putting on your heart today to say, I need to, I need to live into this. I need to respond to this. I can't turn a blind eye any longer and act like everything's okay. I know that people responding to God has changed my life. I know it. I know the ripple effects of that. Right there, 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 there's, there's heresies that have been taught in the church. I was talking with my wife this week. You know, one of the things that was taught in the church was that interracial marriage is sinful. You know that? It was taught. It said that they were not evenly yoked and all of these things. But if you go back to the life of Moses, do you know that Moses, Jewish man, was married to a black woman, black African woman? Do you know this? And there was... Um, There's uh, his uh, Miriam, who got really upset about this. It says it, and, and so uh, you know what happened is that as she started to talk about the skin color of Moses' wife, is uh, says that God turned her skin white as snow, leprous. What was he teaching her? You value the lightness of your skin color? Let's see how much you value it now. And she was struck with leprosy. And see, for, for some of us, we've been taught things that, that, that just aren't biblical. That was heretical, right? But, but it affected people to the point where there are people who are pointing the Bible saying, well, you can't be in an interracial marriage. I remember the first time I was talking with my wife. We were, we were like, this was like a really special moment for us on, and we were sitting in the, in the front of this, this, um, on this patio at this camp. And I told her for the first time that I liked her. This youth pastor came up and he looked at me and he looked at her and he says, what is your, what is, he's talking to her. He says, what does your dad think of interracial dating? Like right in that moment, right? Like this special moment, it was like kind of just snatched away like that. And that's like a small example. Right, like for, for years of like just how the ripple effects of these type of things hurt people in their lives. And the reason I'm telling you all this and we're walking through all this is we're looking at Stephen as we're seeing somebody who just responded to God because he's, he was fed up and he said, that's enough. It's enough. Stop it with the false teaching. 
Stop acting like you're living a life that you're not. Truth over deception. And you know that, that, that what, what happens is, um, it says in verse 58, there were witnesses that laid their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. They were witnessing it. God was witnessing it. Saul was standing right there. Saul, eventually we see the book of Acts. We're going to come back to it. Very soon he's going to meet Jesus face to face. He's going to meet Jesus. And if we were to look at Saul's chart, Saul tells us what his chart was in Philippians 3, 4 through 11. Here's what he says. He says this. He says, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Do you know what this man, Saul, who was a persecutor of a church, standing there as he watches Stephen die, he becomes someone who, if you look to this chart, is dead. He's dead. But by the grace of God, God finds him. God says, stop living the lie. Stop living in deception like you're following me. You want to really follow me? You will suffer much. You will suffer much. But you'll be mine. And he counts his chart that he looks at as rubbish, throws it out and says, the only chart I need is Jesus. The only chart I need is Christ. Will you look at your chart? Maybe the accomplishments that you've done in your life, maybe the things that, that you're not proud of. As he looks at his chart and he says, you know what? I persecuted the church. I was there when Stephen died. The good things, the bad things, you look at your chart, you throw it out and you say, the only thing I need is Jesus. I put my faith in Jesus. I want to lock eyes with Jesus. I want to see heaven open up, and I want to be with Jesus. Friends, that's the truth you need. That's the truth I need. And that's the way that we're going to become a church that isn't defined like the world sadly looks at us right now, but one that is willing to serve and humbly look to Christ as the answer. Let's pray. Jesus, 
We look to you for the truth. There are lies and deceptions that have really destroyed our lives. And we look and we say, well, what, what's the result of that? Why, why is it the way it is? We can't put our faith in, in man. We need faith in Christ and in God. And I pray, Lord, that we will be a church that puts our faith in Jesus. And Lord, that you will purify us. You'll purify our hearts. You'll make us people that don't have these moral incongruences of what we believe and what we actually do. But that we start to more and more start to look like Christ. We need your grace to do that, Lord. We need to face the the reality that that your church we're called to be your people this isn't just a gathering of people just coming together to listen to a message and and sing some songs no we we're we're people that have been bought at a price and the cost was the son of god may we look to you god as the solution and the answer we pray in jesus name amen Thank you for listening to this resource from Grace City Church. If you found this helpful, feel free to share it and enjoy more resources at gracecitysd.com. Grace City Church exists to equip people with the gospel for everyday life.